This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name because it might not be as catchy or as riveting as the name Lalo, but it gets the job done in more ways than one. I'm the blogger in question and the self-styled cheap couch potato. My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and or checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com, as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like for at Couch Potatoes Unite. We're all about the wonders and the unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU, exclamation point, hopes you've been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays, as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays. And as always, we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panelists and I live lives behind our podcast, the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or the podcast via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Amazon Music, basically wherever you get your podcasts to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water cooler, including, but not limited to, Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Altered Carbon, The Orville, Outlander, Westworld, Fuller House, Schitt's Creek, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Big Little Lies, and The Good Doctor. Plus, new episodes are in the works, including revisits for Doctor Who, The Hundred, Supernatural, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, This Is Us, Charmed, Riverdale, the American Horror Story franchise series panel. We'll talk about Season 1 of American Horror Stories. The DCTU series panel will reflect upon Season 4 of Black Lightning, and the Star Trek 50 Plus series will discuss Season 1 of Deep Space Nine. We'll be launching new panels covering Call the Midwife, The Animaniacs, Killing Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, American Gods, Grey's Anatomy, Cobra Kai, Peaky Blinders, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, A Discovery of Witches, and The Hauntings of Hill House and Bly Manor. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap. We'll thank the Golden Girls for being friends. We'll cry Bazinga for Big Bang Theory. We'll dive deep into the fantasy world of the magicians. We'll navigate the witty political satire of Parks and Recreation. We'll become psychos for psych. We'll go where everybody knows your name with cheers. We hope you'll be listening when we talk about about Frasier, and we'll know that's what she said when we talk about The Office, both from the UK and the USA. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from bunkers, comedy shows, comic cons, and game stores, plus we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in whatever these times are. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to our website, our YouTube channel, our Apple iTunes channel, our Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. 
In the meantime, if you don't hear a show in this podcast format, fellow panels and I still write reviews and we always seek new panelists. So if you have any interest in joining the discussion, say hello by finding us at any of the outlets I've mentioned. At the very least, stop by and leave us a thumbs up, comment, or review. We like feedback. Even if you don't want to tell us, you probably should tell us. Just be nice about it. That's a quote. I, I came up with a quote. Today, our Breaking Better series panel is back around the virtual water cooler and continuing our Looking Back to Look Forward Breaking Better series. In fact, this is the sixth chapter in this multi-part series in which we are exploring all shows in one multi-show universe, specifically the entire universe, spawned by the show Breaking Bad. Today, in our sixth discussion, we're looking forward in a manner of speaking to the last of the available seasons of the prequel series spun off of one of the most critically acclaimed and popularly watched dramas of all time, and therefore our series progressing today. In part six of this series, we're discussing season five of Better Call Saul, which aired from February 23rd to April 20th, 2020, with a total of 10 episodes. We've already discussed seasons one through three of Breaking Bad in the first episode of our series, seasons four through five of Breaking Bad in the second, the sequel film El Camino in the third, the first two seasons of Better Call Saul in the fourth, and the third and fourth seasons in the fifth episode of our series. This is the last episode of our series to be released in advance of the airing of the final season of Better Call Saul, expected to premiere sometime in 2022, though no premiere date has yet been announced. In addition, if you're not already aware, you should know that from time to time your chief couch potato and main moderator i.e. me, needs a break, particularly when I think others are more passionate about the show we're discussing at the moment. Case in point, today's episode, which I'm again not here to moderate, rather frequent panelist Kyle returns anew to continue his first ever turn at the moderating microphone for this series. He is currently our seventh most involved CPU panelist and is super ready to continue talking about this, his most favorite show on the air currently, and possibly of all time, which is why Kyle and I have split moderation duties for this Breaking Better series. In this episode, Kyle is rejoined by our Breaking Better cadre of panelists, namely Nick, Hillary, Julianne, Nate, and of course me, doing the panelist thing myself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kyle back to the moderating microphone. Take it away, Kyle. Thanks for the lovely introduction, Kylie. You're welcome. So season five sees the full transformation of Jimmy McGill into his Saul persona as he builds his criminal law practice. And the worlds start to bleed together into something resembling more like Breaking Bad. So we're going to go around after I read the character descriptions and everyone will go around and introduce themselves, rate the show, and how they came to watch it. You love it. You're all in to see the transformation of the criminal lawyer we've all come to know in Breaking Bad. You embrace every corner of this world from the personal, legal, and criminal. After all, the ends justify the means, like Jimmy McGill, the once and future Saul Goodman. You watch it because you're drawn to the criminal underbelly of Albuquerque. You understand its inner workings better than most. Though it may repel you at first, you find yourself repeatedly drawn back into the Albuquerque drug trade, like Mike Ehrmantraut. You watch it for the legal side. You're invested in the legal back and forth and have no interest in the morally questionable characters who exist outside the courtroom. You believe in Jimmy McGill even if you don't fully understand Saul Goodman, like Kim Wexler. You watch it for the Breaking Bad connections. You're invested in the future of the drug trade and the cartel cold war against your sworn enemies like Gustavo Fring. You only watch it because you don't because you feel like you have to. You don't particularly enjoy it, but you have Gustavo Fring with his razor to your neck like Nacho Varga. You watch it for the violence. You want to see the destruction for your own amusement and for the charming villains like Lalo Salamanca. You don't watch it because it's full of scumbags who you have no respect for. If it was up to you, they'd be locked up and not your problem like Hayden Schrader. All right, so we'll go around, and I will 
push it to my wife, Hillary, the moderator's sister, or the, the usual moderator, <laughs> Kylie's sister. So I'm trying to get all the, the connections out early. X. <laughs> um, it was a nice effort. Okay, <laughs> so it's being pushed to me. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Welcome. And I am Hillary. Hi, Hillary. What's up? Hey. I'm related to both the moderators in different ways. We talk about this on many podcasts. Kyle just said it. It's good times. I know I'm reiterating it because I feel like it got confusing right there for a second. <laughs> but anyways, I'm still, I think I've said that I'm Jimmy slash Saul for the other recordings. That hasn't changed. I would probably still more so be in that category for this season, actually. Do we still need to come say how we came to watch it? Is that still part of it? No? You okay. You don't have to unless Kyle wants you to. Do you want me to? Yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> like, they it. can't see your shoulders. <laughs> I... So okay. <laughs> I think we've had this story already, but I'll reiterate it because it's cool. We started watching Breaking Bad pretty early on before it really hit traction, I think, with the mainstream audience or more of a mainstream audience and pretty much got super addicted to that and fell in love with those characters and that's one of the highlights of both series is the character development for me and I'll still talk about that more as we get into it but with Kyle becoming pretty obsessed with the Saul character there was pretty much no way that we weren't going to watch Better Call Saul when it started plus it's just part of the, the same world that we already really enjoyed so I'm Saul and that's why I enjoy watching the show and we will talk about it more all right welcome back Hillary the moderator's wife and the host's sister. I can, I can go, go next. Jinx, jinx, jinx. Well, only one of you can. All right, I'll start. <laughs> I was going to make you rock, paper, scissors. That's good. Cool. So I'm Julianne. Hi, Julianne. Hello. So I would have to say I am Saul Goodman for this one, which I think has been pretty consistent for my character choices throughout our series together. But I feel like just as the seasons go on, it's getting more and more exciting. I definitely have that feeling of just being on a ride. Like the show is a freight train. I think like Breaking Bad is too, in terms of the pace, things just kind of keep escalating and I'm here for it. So yeah. Welcome back, Julianne. Thank you. And the other one who wanted to go. Well, that's me. I'm Nick. Hi, Nick. Hi. I came to watch this show because I started watching Breaking Bad and Jimmy was one of, if not is my favorite character from that show. So I, of course, had to watch this show. And I am Jimmy based on the character description because that's why I'm watching the show. I want to see him become Saul Goodman. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> Welcome back, Nick. All right. That leaves me. Thanks. I'm going to push it to Nate. Oh. <laughs> Nate was Great. volunteering. You didn't have to push it. <laughs> yeah. I volunteered to go last. Yeah, I am Nate. I started watching this series. I just followed the series. It just, you know, kept going. I loved it. And of course, I'm Jimmy. 100, 100% in uh, Jimmy. One of the most brilliant law minds ever. Move over, Ben Matlock. <laughs> That's what I say. By the way, I'm moderating the, Mo the Matlock podcast. <laughs> We haven't discussed that, but I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> Welcome back, Spoilers. Nate. <laughs> Spoilers indeed. <laughs> and I get to go before the moderator because I'm not moderating, but am participating. Kylie here again. Hello, hello. 
I don't remember what I was. I think I, I've never really picked Saul, and it's always made people go, what? And I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> so I think I've been Mike. I think I'm going to stay Mike. Or maybe I was Mike and Gus, because that's really that's really it. Like, I'm, I'm loving the Breaking Bad connections. I'm liking Mike's side of the story. But I don't know. I'm starting to get towards Saul. This was the best season of the five for me so far for all the reasons that maybe because we're down down the line in this freight train that Julianne described and the pace is tense and all the people are starting to come into the world and I'm like uh oh things are happening so I, I will I will actually I'll revise and say I'm between Saul and Mike I'm keeping the Mike piece though because that's just me I always thought you were Salamanca that was, was that not which one <laughs> Uh, the many. description. With we the, need to get you a bell, bro. Hell no. <laughs> you don't need no bell. <laughs> and <laughs> thanks, but no thanks, Nate. Kyle. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm Kyle. I'm moderating this one because it's my favorite show of all time. So obviously I'm going to be Jimmy Saul. But I'm also going to throw Lalo in there because I do watch it for the violence and the charming villains. I kind of tailored that one to myself because I love Lalo and I'm absolutely rooting for him. I know everyone likes Gus, but Lalo is awesome. But obviously, okay. Gus is in the other series, and Lalo is not. <laughs> Just saying, spoiler. Hey, Lalo, as far as we know, is still alive during Breaking Bad. He's mentioned by Saul Goodman. Okay, go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> so the season pretty much opens with we get some more Gene. Cinnabon Gene, and somebody knows he is Saul Goodman, and he's in a panic, and we get our first big cameo, Robert Forrester in his final performance as Ed the Disappearer, and Jimmy pretty much says he's going to handle it himself. So he's completely slipping out of Gene and going back to Saul Goodman plotting. So what did you guys think of that and Robert Forrester, and where do you think that that's going? I was just as tense as Jimmy was in that moment. I was like, oh damn because he just wasn't letting it go the it's really good the way that they direct every scene and i know we already talked about this are really good at building the tension that you were supposed to be feeling and it started off right off the bat this moment also prepared you really well for this season being basically breaking bad like we're we're there and this scene gets you right there and then we start into the present for the rest of the story where we watch it build, but it felt that tension that almost every episode of Breaking Bad has. You knew that guy was going to be bad news because he was a white dude in a Cosby sweater. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I was like, oh, oh no, Gene. Oh, jeez. He, he said that he knew him from the commercials, right? His or commercials, was it the yeah, like he, he was said, like a fanboy. Like yeah, he, he had lived like, in Albuquerque, and he was familiar with the criminal world of Albuquerque, so he knew who Saul was. <laughs> Nick just muted himself, but seriously, he was like a fanboy. He was even like, "Yeah, I had your matchbook and like the whole yeah, shebang." You, you saw where he got he got the kind of weird that a guy, white guy in a Cosby sweater when he says when he's just like, "Come on, just just do it." Like was just like. Like that hillbilly, like, we're going to sit yeah. together all night. Like It was yeah. very uncomfortable. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, say it. Come on, man. Say yeah. it. It was, and you, you you could tell he had no escape. Like, 
he you could tell he had been recognized like there was no lie that he could sell that was going to get him out of that situation without admitting yeah he couldn't create a scene he was literally pushed into a corner Mm -hmm. my number one question was who's that guy working for he's clearly a plant like who's he working for yeah he seemed a little too suspicious Nate keeps talking right he's pointing to the sweater again he keeps talking about white guy in a Quote Cosby sweater. Again, you gotta see I say, him on cops. Who's... He's on like the best of cops. That's what he okay. looks like. Okay, I was thinking maybe Mr. Rogers sweater was more important, <laughs> but or more like applicable, <laughs> but squiggly, <laughs> doubly flubble. I don't. Okay, <laughs> this is going downhill fast. All I know is that yes, he was super suspicious, and it was. I mean, his instinct to go call Ed, I think, was spot on because who just recognizes the Cinnabon guy in the middle of Nebraska or wherever the hell he is, you know? But then that's the number one question that I had going into the season, like which of the possible people that are still left, because that's the brain switch you're, you're, you're making with each premiere is like, oh, this is after Breaking Bad. So who of the people that we've been watching is left looking for Saul in this way and having tracked him down to this mall that apparently still exists. Well, and, and here's the thing that I found interesting about that. He's been so paralyzed with fear, but then when he makes that decision on the phone call with Ed, like he is like rock solid. It's almost like he needs a goal. He needs an enemy. Otherwise his brain is like, he is essentially like eating himself up with paranoia. But now he's like, okay, it happened, and how am I going to fix it? I also think it's just a relief for him, because it's clear he despises this existence, this sort of witness protection and existence that he's in. And I think the juxtaposition between the premiere and the rest of the season is that you know when push comes to shove, he'll do what he has to do. And this is more of a 2020 hindsight thing that I'm now having on the premiere because this is obviously a revelation that comes out as the season progresses. But he does what he's supposed to do when it's called on him to do it, no matter how hard it is. And so that now I see is as a reflection on that moment when he's talking to Ed and decides he's going to take care of it himself. I was surprised we didn't get any more of the flash flashes to Gene. Like, we get it in the opening and then the word left completely wondering this whole season whereas other seasons we'd, we'd go back every once in a while and get little hints and I was, I was i was actually surprised i kept waiting for it like some sort of answer or some sort of forward momentum and now it's going to be like you know two year wait yes and but then, if we know vince gilligan there's always a plan it does so. make me wonder how much of the next season will be i keep wanting to call it the president but i don't know if that makes sense in the yeah. timeline but how much will be after breaking bad with gene post walter um, we do know we have more than 10 episodes post Walter White. That's a good way. But yeah, it's interesting, especially since they announced that a lot of the season, the next season will take place during Breaking Bad, and we'd see scenes from Breaking Bad from other angles, from Saul's perspective. So the 14 episodes are going to be broken up a little, the little span before yeah. Breaking Bad, during Breaking Bad, and then resolve the gene. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say there's still probably, just because, I mean, I'm watching it with Kyle usually, and he's already watched it like a couple times. And so he's already picked up on all of the connections, direct connections to the show. And some of them are kind of Easter egg-like and some of them are pretty. I mean, and that's where I think maybe it's beneficial to have seen Breaking Bad a couple times just so that you're catching all of that because that elevates what you're seeing even more, I think. So 
But I'm oh, yeah. sure I'm sure he'll go into that. I mean, just this <laughs> season alone, we get the villain of the first two episodes, Domingo's whole backstory. We learn why he's called Crazy Eight. We learn why he was a criminal informant, even though he technically wasn't. It was just the deal Saul got him to save his butt. And this is a character like if you just casually watch the show, you wouldn't even realize he's the guy that Walter White and Jesse fought in the first in the pilot, and you know Walter had to murder. It'd be very easy to just think that, okay, it's just another nacho, you know, it's just showing the drug trade now. It just the, the detail, like, because you could casually watch it and, like, it's still a great story, but then once you realize it, how it's, it's building the world. Yeah, it's showing how all of their worlds collide, essentially, which is kind of cool. And not a lot of shows are that meticulous with that. They're hoping people aren't paying attention to that, and Lord knows we've recorded about several of those things. That well, are, and I think, too, like, when you, when you throw in too many characters like it it would have been just as easy to find or just as easy to like bring in another drug dealer type character but i like that attention to detail because it does add to the world building factor so you can actually care a little bit about the characters and they have a little bit more impact if they if they go in an untimely manner well and it's just interesting like because you know breaking bad you're seeing it from walt and jesse's perspective so you're just seeing a two-dimensional villain and then this show has a much more multi-layered like, you're seeing it from a much more ambivalent perspective. I mean, it's just, I mean, that goes for everybody, too. Like, Gus and Lalo, all of them, they're seeing a lot more multi-layered drug dealers than you were from Walt. Because, I mean, yeah, we were seeing literally how Walt and them saw it as a scary world that they didn't understand. That's the part that I really enjoy. I mean, what you know, learning of Crazy Eight's backstory is fine. I think that really resonates with maybe the super fans which you are one of i think and your wife is too <laughs> my sister crazy eight that that backstory is interesting but i don't really live for that piece of it or even the smaller details i guess around it's the it's the extra layers we're getting of gus and mike and saul which were for me the three best characters of breaking bad in some ways because they were these seemingly random variables that affected Walter and Jesse so profoundly came in burned bright all you know met their maker in a sense he's got here's to my up. you're I don't think you're thinking future wise why crazy eight's backstory is important is because he's literally Jesse Captain Cook's employer we had to see him become crazy eight and get that promotion so Jesse can come onto the show I'm not undermining its importance in any way, shape, or form, Kyle. So saying, if you okay. wanted to see blending with Breaking Bad, that was an important step. All I'm saying is that for my own personal connection to what is Better Call Saul, it's the layers that we're getting with Mike and Gus and Saul, really, too, since it's his show. You know, these those three characters were ones that I really resonated with in Breaking Bad. I get that there is a larger story and chronology that Crazy Eight affects, and that's that's interesting. But you know, I think different parts of the story are going to appeal differently to different people. So I'm just telling you what appeals to me. And I killed the room. No. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm not modern. Really, lots of nodding. Yeah, there's Great. lots of yeah. nodding. Oh yeah. Essentially, the 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 pilot episode after the Gene stuff, it literally jumps right into Saul creating his practice and his client base. And I know some people complained about the wait. Do you feel like the the four seasons of buildup was worth it once we hit this season running? Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's what you're it. waiting for. You know, this is the icing on the topping, man. This is, this is yeah. Great stuff. 
I think if they were, yeah, I think if they were to just jump ahead, I mean, you needed all that because it, you needed to see that transformation. So I don't know if there's commentary about the pacing, I think, I don't know. Sometimes I don't understand that just because ultimately, again, as I talked about in my intro thingy, like everything is all about development. And then if it just went from A to B without those, those critical points in the timeline and what affected him, it would make it less believable to me. So, and I think they're doing a really good job of piecing it together. So. I don't understand the pacing or I either. This is it's a biographical piece and you don't just come right out with the I mean biographical in the sense of you're taking a character and you're telling their story, not like a real person. Why would you hit that hit on that from the first or even second season? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, there are a lot of people that were mad like it, he wasn't Saul Goodman right from the first season. Well, then you need to go watch Breaking Bad again because that's when he saw Goodman right away. Hello? <laughs> I feel like that's it's something that happens a lot in like really character-driven shows, too, where people complain about the pacing of a show because it doesn't seem like there's not enough happening. But I don't know. I think if you're really paying attention or you're really like here for the story arc of the characters then to me the pacing seems to fit also like in knowing now that there will be six seasons of this show it seems like it has been a really well-paced story arc for Saul Jimmy slash Saul so I think if like you're looking for the I don't know the answers given to you right away maybe this is not for you but I don't know I just I'm here for a slow burn, for sure. Like, I'm here for a story that feels a lot more intentional than just kind of thrown together. So I guess it kind of depends on the kind of art that you're you're looking to watch, in my opinion. I'll say that I would have been on board with a show that was, what's the right word, not, I guess, episodic, where we're watching Saul Goodman wheel and deal just repetitively in different unique ways. And there were a couple of times where I was like, I kind of can't wait for him to be Sal Goodman. But on the other side, I still don't understand anyone who's upset with the pacing because it's just a good quality show. You're getting everything is worthwhile when it happens. They're not drawing things out. It's worth watching the performances, the, the stories themselves. So, I, yeah, I, I don't understand that either. And I am someone who would have been fine just watching actually the Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad in a more sitcom-like show, I would have been on board the for that, Matlock. too. <laughs> he, would, he would be the new Matlock, is what he would be. <laughs> he was Matlock for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was. He, he studied him. We got that season. <laughs> My thing is, it's, it's a prequel. So if you don't understand how sequels and prequels and spinoffs work, which this is both a prequel and a spinoff, you're not going to have the same pacing as the core show that started the whole thing. And there's only 10 episodes per season here, and each season has the plotting and direction and mapping ability that Vince Gilligan brings to really any show that he touches. So I don't, I guess people needed to mitigate their expectations. Maybe they thought they were watching Breaking Bad Part Deux. I don't know, but it's not, it's not supposed to be the same show. And that's what I liked and what I expected sitting down is partially because I was primed with 
having siblings and siblings-in-law so interested in the show, but also because I knew it wasn't going to be Breaking Bad, so I walked in with the expectation of, okay, I'm, I'm here for this story, and this story is going to be a little bit different. While it intersects and gets there, I can't wait to talk about the appearance that does come in. You let me know when you want to do that. <laughs> Kylie, if you have a sibling and sibling-law interested in the show, you should invite them to join the panel. I think I invited them to moderate it. <laughs> we talked about this? What kind of a question is that? <laughs> yeah, like, I pretty much agree with Kylie. I think, I, I think anybody that was complaining about that just literally wanted Breaking Bad. They just wanted more episodes of Breaking Bad. Yep. I feel like... They did a brilliant job of, like, the first couple seasons of just the Jimmy and Chuck drama was so fascinating. But then they did give us the Breaking Bad world when they brought, like, you know, Gus in and the Salamancas. I felt like they the way they balanced it was perfect. And then to get it as separate stories, like these little microcosms, made it ten times more rewarding once we got to this season. And, like, literally everything just starts to come together. And I thought it was brilliant. I love the way they paced it out amongst all these seasons. I also don't get wanting more of Breaking Bad, the show that already existed, because guess what? If you've only watched it once, you miss stuff. Just watch it if you want exactly. more episodes. That's what I'm saying. I, it's, it's just it's one of those shows that deserves more than one viewing. It just has a bit. I mean, I've watched it several times myself. You you absolutely do miss stuff. That's why I think it's more impactful and elevated after you've been able to see it a couple times i mean and that's true for a lot of shows but this one particularly just because of all the the detail and development so and since kylie referenced breaking bad cameo and since we already talked about the crazy eight backstory it introduced two great characters r.i.p hank schrader <gasps> don't tell people <laughs> and gomi gomez that's so much fun I said, it's <laughs> Answer my question of how you felt about that. That was a great moment and one of my two favorite episodes of the season. And I just would like to point out, because it stuck up when my wife was watching it for the first time a little while ago, she absolutely freaked out because it starts with his dad bod, his belly, and Hillary's like, I know who that is. Like, all you need to do is see his big round pot belly, and she just got so excited. Like, you didn't even need to see him hold his badge up to the window. I mean, no offense, <laughs> but yes, I already knew who it was as soon as, I mean, the, the, the government license plate was the first thing and then he stepped out and I was like, but then also kind of did like a fangirly squee too. So uh. oh, I, to I totally squeed. I did too. That was like, it was an appearance that makes so much sense because he's a, you know, from the DEA, of course he would be investigating this world. But for some reason, I was still sort of, like, surprised by it. So, and Hank is one of my favorite characters from Breaking Bad. So, yeah, I was super well, yeah. excited. It's just refreshing to hear him and Gomez's banter again. I mean, exactly. haven't heard that shit in a while. And it's just enjoyable to listen to those two go round and round. And then just to listen to Hank just kind of... And it does make perfect sense. I would think that the DEA would have been aware of the Salamancas slash the cartel for a while. But I was also surprised. And maybe it wasn't surprised because he was there, but maybe the timing of it. Like, oh, it's now. Because I expect to see a lot more in this final season upcoming 
of people that we've seen before but to have him in this season was a lot of fun and it really felt that felt satisfying in a way like okay we're getting here we're getting there it's it's all starting to come together in these spider webby like ways and it's so so much fun when that happens in any multiverse but certainly in this one as well i loved his performance in the scene when he's taking out gus's mules because you get to see the fact when he's with gomez like he's like he knows there's more he knows there's a bigger thing at play here and then he switches his persona to like the overly cocky one when he's giving the speech to all the cops and everybody like oh we did good we got all these scumbags out the street which i love because when you when you see breaking bad that's the hank you see for the first two seasons and I just love that they're pulling the fact in that you, he is much more intelligent than you know, yeah. or, you know, than they, they let on in early seasons. And I love that Hank. And I love the Hank that's, he's also pre of his PTSD. So he's still at the top of his game. Like, I really hope we get more of him in the next season. I would honestly watch a Hank Schrader cop show that took place like around that time where he's busting scumbags. Cause yeah, I loved how he, he turned it on for, you know, he said like, this is Bowie Price. We only got like hundreds of thousands of dollars and a bunch of product off the street, but we couldn't catch the guy. And then, but he gets up there and he's like, yeah, we're pretty great. Next round's on me, boys. It's just a really nice dichotomy of where it shows that he, there's like, there's work Hank and there's play Hank. And when he's working, he's, he's unstoppable. There's a reason he's in the DEA. There's a reason he got promoted. And it just like, I mean, just the fact that he has a notion that there's somebody like Gus out there, that this isn't just like an everyday thing. Like he knows, he he knows that like there's a bigger deal here. Yeah. He knows he was being thrown above. Like just something, like they're being used as a pawn in a bigger game. Yeah. I just want to say, kind of building off that point, it is fun to watch Dean Norris, certainly, but also Jonathan Banks and Giancarlo Esposito and Bob Odenkirk channel the pre-Breaking Bad excitement pieces, you know, the earlier versions of their characters when you first met them, because they did evolve over their time on Breaking Bad and changed. And so it's got to be an interesting acting exercise to think about, this is the character I had when I first read these scripts and first put on these costumes and did this and they have to divest themselves brain-wise from the characters where they landed at the end of those shows i think that's really fun to think about and just also goes more to the intricacy of how this is all interlocking together oh yeah i mean i thought that last season when they had the flash forward when he's in full saw goodman panic mode like getting his money and giving money to francesca and i like thinking about like bob odenkirk like he played that over-the-top version of Saul, and then he's done four years of Jimmy more nuanced, and then have to have to go back to the other Saul. Like I, I don't know. I just amazing acting. I don't know how he does it. I feel like this would be just such a great show to be an actor on. Like oh, you have so like different actors have different scenes together with different power dynamics, and just you know going back to like having earlier versions of those characters. Mm-hmm. Pre Walter right pre Walter White where he came in and ruined everything for them. Yeah. It would just be like such a fun show to be an actor on, I feel. These guys gotta be like such good friends in real life, I hope. I hope there's no enemies amongst this cast and that they're all like, Yeah, we've we've been doing this now since two thousand eight, we're all best buds kind of a business. I, I was reading an article. They actually are like Patrick Fabian, Howard Hamlin and you know, Bob Odenkirk and Rhea, like, they have a house in Albuquerque while they're filming, and they all just live together all the time while they're filming. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
It's like a frat party of Better Call Saul people. <laughs> and since we were talking about the actors, I also read an interview with Giancarlo Esposito where he was talking about he started off his appearance in Saul with a more optimistic Gus, a, a slightly happier Gus, and that we're seeing him in his war with the Salmancas turn him into the, the Gus that we know in Breaking Bad. And, like, it, it's subtle as hell, but, like, once I read that, I realized that, because, like, by season five, once it, all the frustrations that he has to go through to protect Nacho and, like, the, the personal losses, and, like, you see him go from, like, he, he gets much more quiet and much more of the more terrifying Gus that we know. How about that scene in the restaurant when he is anticipating that someone's coming for him and he has the guy while well, the guy volunteers to wash and rewash the deep fryers over <sighs> and over and over again? I was just, like, damn. <laughs> yeah, you see the cruel side. Like he's Gus is frustrated, but he's not going to physically show it. He's taking it out on him. So he's just torturing this poor teenage poor kid. Lyle. Yeah. <laughs> like, ser that again, that's another one of those tension-building scenes. But, yeah, yeah, you definitely are feeling... You feel it right along with what's happening. At least I do. So... And just, like, the cuts of him walking back into the office with, like, the flip phone... Or the flip phone sitting right there on his desk right in front of him. And you can hear Lyle being stressed in the background, like, sweating... Like, all he's just trying to do is get his approval on it. Because they all respect him. Well, and it's crazy. It, and it also shows Gus, like, he's also brilliant. Because he, he set himself up with an alibi, should somebody like Hank call into question where he was during these dead drops. And so he sets himself up with an alibi while still, at the same time, taking out his frustration on this kid and torturing him. So you literally see every single side of Gus you could possibly see in this one scene. But he's so quiet and calm. He's an amazing actor. That character is an amazing character. I know Nate says Walter White is a mensch, but I continue my questionable love for Gus Fring because he's just so good at playing so many different edges and, and emotions just in a few facial expressions. Like micro expressions. Yeah. They're just like, it's like a twitch of the eye, and you're like, oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to die now. <laughs> you see how mad Gus was? Oh. <laughs> and the kid, that kid's going to grow up and talk about the work ethic he has now from his mental torture. You know, like, I stayed for six hours and cleaned that fryer. That's funny. Well, it's funny, it's like, you know, you know when Gus got his face blown off and everyone found out that kid was like, I knew he was evil. <laughs> Who makes a kid do that? Technically, he didn't make him. He did he manipulated say... Manipulated his... Yeah, he definitely... He definitely... There was no coercion. It's yeah. worse. I know. It was worse. The layers of manipulation were far worse than him just saying, you you, you need to do this before you can leave, as yeah. normal management-esque people would do. I mean, yeah, like, just like, is, is this acceptable to you? Yeah. But he wouldn't even look him in the eye. He's, like, looking down right at it. It's yeah. so perfectly acted. He's, like, looking at, like, just a dead possum floating in that fryer. Just like yes. But again, but no expression at the same time. Like he just looks like Gus, but you are you you see like some like 
like an eyebrow, just one eyebrow hair just twitched, and you're just like, oh, God. He also has this uncanny ability to draw in his, his cheeks a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. noticed that. That Not everybody can do that, like, you know, where it kind of shadows. Yeah, like it changes his appearance almost completely, but it it's does. so subtle. It's very subtle, and it's such an important facet to this character and how he puts it on. I wonder about that every time. I would love to meet this man and just ask him, like, how the hell do you do that? (laughs) This season for me is like the season of Gus. Like, he just really ascended to my favorite character of this show, I think, with this season. We can talk about this scene later, but that the scene that he has with Mike, that I like, I had chills in that scene. Wait, which one? Yeah, I was talking about Gus. Yeah, yes, talking about Gus. The scene where are they in their office? in his office again? Is he talking no, about this... Nacho's dad. There's a couple of them where Mike is appealing to him about Nacho's dad, and yeah. it, there there might be three total, but there's at least a couple. It starts off with we need to talk about Nacho's dad. Then Mike comes at him a little harder. And then Mike finally says something to the effect of... He deserves some consideration. Yeah, he does, he, he's done everything you asked. He deserves some consideration. What are you going to do? Why don't we cut him loose? Mm-hmm. He's done everything you asked. He's always been reliable. I guess that's he's got a gun impression. to his father's head. <laughs> I don't know that. It doesn't do so well with me. This is Nate doing Mike Ehrman Trout, please. That's a good mic. Yeah, <laughs> pretty impressive. Yeah, but we don't have to pay for the rights for that clip now. That's true. <laughs> Saving us money. Good job, Nate. <laughs> and then on the flip side, we have Lalo, whereas, whereas Gus is so stoic and like scary to everybody around him. Lalo is super, super friendly, but in a hor- like an absolutely terrifying way. Like there's this threat of violence under everything he does, even though it's super chipper and super friendly. See, I actually almost think that that's more haunting because that's more unpredictable. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost Joker-like. Like, he's just doing things to amuse himself in this world, and he he could flip on a dime. I literally was just going to say he is the Joker of Better Call Saul because he's got Mm -hmm. the chilling laugh and the smile and the... Mm-hmm. His intellect, you can tell, is like through the roof. Well, and ironically, because this was actually filmed before Joaquin Phoenix Joker, there's the scene when he's laughing about Los Poyos Hermanos burning down, and then Saul asks him what's so funny, and he's like, you wouldn't get it. And it's like, <laughs> there's that scene in the Joker at the, the end of that, and I thought that was, it, it, it's awesome in hindsight. That's why I love this season so much. I love the chess game between Lalo and Gus. They're such opposites. But they're both brilliant in their own ways. So obviously everyone here has been seeing Gus's praise. I was going to ask who everyone was rooting for in this battle. I think I know who you guys are going to say, but I love Lalo. Look, oh yeah, Lalo's Lalo, a charmer. He's, he's you know, he he's, I guess he's a mensch in his own way. He's um, got mentless qualities. Yeah, he's I mean, got mensch. He loves his T.O. <laughs> he does love his T.O. His T.O. Hector. He visits his T.O. all the time. He takes well, I mean, care of him. He, he, make, he puts whiskey in his car, what, tequila in his, in his thing there. And his vitamin juice. Yeah. His favorite. <laughs> well, he's the only one not actually torturing Nacho. Yeah. Not not overtly, but he's in, in much the way that Gus manipulated Lyle. Yeah, it's psychological with fire. torture. It's a psychological torture with Nacho. He knows he's getting under his skin. Although there's a, I almost feel like if the Don had not really responded to Nacho the way he had, Lalo wouldn't have 
come along quite the, as far as he did, even though he's the one who introduced him. And also, I just think that Nacho is a plaything for Lalo. And I, oh, mm-hmm. I think everybody is. But really with when him, you- really with him, which makes the ending scene, it makes, I know we're not to the finale yet, but it makes... It makes you wonder whether or not Lalo figures out that Nacho is the one that let everybody in. Oh, I mean, he looked at the two drinks, and then he looked at the open side door. And then that is like a split-second scene before he storms out and it goes to black. But he, so he looks at the two drinks. He's, he's seen the bodies of everybody else. He knows Nacho opened that door and ran. He had to have. Which he, I think, always suspected was Nacho was capable of. Well, I mean, Kim point like, he wasn't even really thinking that, but in that finale, I mean, we're skipping ahead, but when Kim says, you know, you have to get your house in order and look at your own people, I don't even think he was ever thinking about Nacho, but then that seed has been planted. Which, by the way, since we're, he's bringing that episode up, that's my favorite episode of the season, actually. The finale or the one where they're in Jimmy and Kim's apartment. Correct. After Jimmy has come back from his desert. fun desert adventure with Mike. Yeah, and then the reason, again, that's a wonderfully acted scene. I mean, Lalo comes in. He already knows. I mean, he knows. He knows what, he really knows what's happened. And just, again, that tension build of him sitting there, deadpan across from Jimmy saying, I want you to tell me again. I was like, oh, shit. Like, (laughs) you've stepped in it now. And... And even still, and it took a lot of convincing even on Kim's part, but again, man, I like her, I like the complexity of her character too that continues to grow, but man, that whole scene too where she's like, it's it's just so layered, everything is so layered, and she's just coming at Lalo, and with kind of what Kyle was already starting to describe, but for me that whole that whole portion of that episode kind of sets it set most of the tone for the season for me. Just to stay on Kim for there a little bit, I've always liked that character, but there's always been this part in the back of my head where it's I keep wondering what's gonna happen with her because we knew she's not in Breaking Bad and there's so many moments where she could have left Jimmy and we would not have blamed her. This season, she really has an important part to play. She's really, she doubles down on Jimmy. I really did not expect her to say, let's get married until the words came out of her mouth. And I just really have enjoyed watching that char- this character even more this season, mm-hmm. which I thought we, I didn't know if she was going to stay like much like Michael McKean. That felt like, it felt like she was more part of that first half of the series where we have me mcgill and we would leave her behind as we get closer to breaking bad but it that's what everybody like, no <laughs> she's going but it ends up being the big the big twist at the end of the season which the writers have been hiding is essentially that she's the one that pushes him to be Saul goodman she's the one who's willing to go the more questionable immoral route than him when she pushes him about the howard thing but i still think that's layered too because really She's gotten there because of his influence. I mean, there's that whole scene in the hotel where he literally stares at her with intense guilt on his face. She steps out of the bathroom and he says, I feel like I am bad for you. And she's doing it for a few reasons. First off, we get some of her backstory. So you already know that 
I mean, again, mommy issues and whatnot. So and there's Jimmy's already the been, only one who's there, who's always been there for right. Her. So now they're married. She does love him. So yeah, like Nick just said, she's doubling down on him, and because before that, you see so much of her like grappling with all of the lack of morality of what he's doing and her yelling at him like this is wrong we're lying Until you know she sees his she's, bag of she's money. throwing the beer well still but she still learned that from him a little bit like i don't think it just came out of nowhere i think it's a mixture of all the things i don't think it's any specific one thing and i don't think it's all just her but i do think that's gonna set in motion everything else that's going to happen like this i agree with you this is going to be that final thing that pushes it over the edge. But even because you even said yourself, Jimmy's face looking at her like, yeah, he's like, we can't do this. Like not to Howard. He doesn't deserve it. But in her head, she's already thinking like it's already come this far. I mean, well, in, in her, her head, she's he's already with the cartel and all this other crap. So she's like, I, I think hers is coming from multiple angles. I don't think it's no. so. I, no. well, I mean, point she's a very ends justify the means she's jimmy can do these horrible things he's not doing them to that many people they deserve it and we're getting this money to where i can help this entire room full of people who can't afford a lawyer we're gonna be doing so much good so it's okay if jimmy is pushed in this direction where he's being highly questionable but i'm gonna uh, jump help out at a soup kitchen on thanksgiving yeah and suddenly I that outweighs all the bad you've done yeah, I'm going to jump in and agree with Hillary. I don't think it's as simple as that. Yeah. With with Kim and Jimmy, first of all, it's a classic codependence wheel. Okay? Yeah. That's the, that's the center mm -hmm. core of the whole relationship. And she's still missing the point of when he does it and how he does it. Correct. Mm -hmm. and he also misses the same thing with her. So what ends up happening is one pushes the one... Pushes the other, pushes the other, pushes the other, pushes the other. It isn't even... And they actually really have a toxic relationship sometimes. It is. And it isn't, oh, yeah. it isn't just about the ends justify the means. Yes, that's the story that Kim is outwardly saying to herself and to him. You know, she wants her life to be meaningful. She wants her career to be meaningful. She wants to help people. She gets rid of Mesa Verde. She quits the firm with Dennis Boutsikaris, who's her boss. You know, she does all this stuff, but she's still willing to go the extra mile with the very morally questionable things in which Jimmy gets himself involved in. And remember, part of the buildup of their whole relationship is that idea that they go in on those cons together. There's something yeah. dangerous yeah. and fascinating, and it Jeez. pushes her beyond herself. Yeah, there's been lots of foreshadowing to this, that it's not, that it's not just... And, and also, too, I think in her head, she's kind of read Jimmy's actions towards Howard, because she just finds out their interaction that he just had, you know, she just finds out from Howard that, yeah, Jimmy, and even though Jimmy's doing it from, like, almost an emotional reactionary standpoint, like, again, it's just another thing where, and, you know, again, I still think, yeah, she's supporting Jimmy, like, she, she's supporting him. But it's just all in the wrong way, and it's still going beyond. But that's still part of his influence. So it's a mixture of all of the things, which is why it's brilliant. And it is going to implode, but it's still fascinating to watch. And again, Bob Odenkirk, his expression as Kim kind of walks away, I mean, it's all in the facial expressions. They've, they've each, he knows. They've... He knows. Like, he basically knows. And it's not just her. It's... 
they've it's pushed like, e they've pushed each other and what we find out in the last in this last sequence is that they've both pushed each other beyond the line of whatever whatever that line that wasn't they weren't either going to cross with each other and with their own lives and with their own decisions yeah, they've both crossed it together. I don't think he's quite there yet because he still has a little Jimmy in him in that scene when he's like we can't do this. He's he doesn't not, deserve it. I think she's he's pushed her farther past himself than he is even yet. And then in, in the next season, I think she's going to pull him over that line. Yeah. Except for the fact that... That way it makes me feel horrible for Howard because I really love him this season. He's like, like he's trying to be a nice guy and help these people. But Kim wasn't involved in all the stuff he did with the cartel. That was yeah. all on him. And she just happened to be at the tail end of that. So I don't think it's that simple either. But here's the thing. What I'm talking about is morality. He's still doing everything within the realms of client privilege like he's still doing things technically legal he's not doing something that's as morally wow. questionable as ruining a man's reputation morality and legality so are two different things morality well, and legality are two different things so he is he's staying within the lines of legality sure but i don't know that he's staying within the lines of morality not by accepting anything to do with the salamancas yeah agreed yeah, there's, too, there's too many layers to it. There's too many, then that, but and it's supposed to be at this well, point. Well, part of what I'm saying is like he hasn't quite crossed that line yet because he didn't even want to be a cartel man. It's, it's, it's almost like you know he was he was brought to Lalo and pretty much terrified into it. So I'm just saying I don't. He's not saw like the Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad yet, and he's going to get there in the next season. I did find what I'm saying. He still has that Jimmy in the background where he keeps trying to justify it as well. These are horrible people, but I am their lawyer, and technically, I'm not breaking it. I'm not a part of it yet. Whereas Mike's telling him, you're in the game. I just think well, it's oversimplified to say that Kim is the one that's pushed him across the line. I don't think that's... No, I'm saying I think she will be in the next season with Howard. I actually... Well, I actually read it... Honey, I actually read it a little bit different, and... I mean, that's just perception. I I actually think that he is pretty close at this point. I think he is a lot more Saul. I mean, I I'm still think that the Jimmy is there, but I actually think he is super close to Saul. Well, I I think like that's that's like, always going to be his problem. Yeah, it's always going to be his problem. Is that he is Jimmy and he is Saul. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not one or the other. And I, I, I don't know that there's a moment where he's being thrust into the world as fully Saul. It's always going to be Jimmy and Saul together. Yeah. That's the problem. Which is why yeah. we get. It's funny. It's why we get the scenes of Gene because I think Gene is that that wrestling match Julianne just described. I well, it's funny because we were just talking about like Lalo is a Joker, but it's almost like he's it's kind of like the same like psychological analysis of. Of like Batman and Bruce Wayne a little bit, <laughs> since we're just because, like at this point, he's you know like really Bruce is more Batman than he is Bruce. I think that's essentially what's happening with Jimmy, and he's still going to be Jimmy, but he's I think that alter ego more. And like going back to Kim, I think I had talked about in the last podcast that we did that I was kind of confused about Kim, and I was like sort of confused about what she was doing and where her character was going. And I think it's because I sort of looked at Kim through the lens that Jimmy looked at Kim, which is, but she's always going to make the better choice. Like she's always going to be the more, the, the moral, the more moral one of the, the two of us. And 
I think like that whole moment at the end of the season, like that's when that glass finally shatters for him. And that was also when that glass shattered for me too. And I started to understand. Yeah. That's a good, this really is very like codependent relationship. And she is enjoying these things or I I don't know if enjoying is the right word, but I I think you're picking up what I'm laying down. And I think it's important to note that morality and morality, that's a really, that's a philosophically heavy topic to apply to this show because really what you're talking about is are these good people or bad people making good choices or bad choices? Arguably Jimmy McGill is a good man who makes a ton of terrible choices. And Kim Wexler is a good woman who makes a ton of terrible choices. And Mike Ehrmantraut is a good man who makes choices all over the spectrum. He's much more practical and realist than maybe a Jimmy McGill. I mean, they're all smart and they're all strategic and when they're doing it, but they're not really, like, yeah, they're not necessarily things regular people like you or I or any would do or be a part of. Right. So, I mean, and like... One of the things that is a little scene, but it stuck with me, is when he's getting Lalo out on bail, and then he looks over at the family of the guy that Lalo killed, and he just looks completely ashamed. Yes. If you go back from that to him in Breaking Bad, when he's, like, suggesting they have people in prison shift to death and, like, not even giving a second thought to innocent people, it just makes me really sad for Jimmy. Like, these are the last times we're going to see, like, that Jimmy come out in him, probably. Well, I think he's going to end up fully jaded and just not give an F anymore. And I think part of that might even be the PTSD of the desert thing. I think that's going to be a part of it. Like, he's disassociating, kind of. Well, and I think it's also important to hold up the idea that, you know, the two main characters of these two shows, Walter White in Breaking Bad and Jimmy McGill of Better Call Saul, both have alter egos. Right? Walt has Heisenberg, Jimmy has Saul. And so the masks that these are for each of these two characters are totally different, but parallel. Yeah. They're they're on completely and utterly non-touchable tracks because they've had different backstories, but they're also different people. Mm-hmm. Jimmy is basically a good man, but he's had a lot of crap circumstances. And that's what this show kind of walks us through from you know, the parents that weren't kind of left him to the care of the brother who was always jealous of him and his existence and they're doting on him and all of that business right down to, you know, I'm going to... to He's a nice guy finish last type of thing. A little like, bit until he decides he's not going to finish last and then yeah, selling prepaid cell phones and, you know, getting involved in the drug cartels and things like that. Whether... Whether it's because he actively chooses it or not, it's the road that he has made. Yeah, with yeah he's, still, kind of shown he's it, still also slipping, Jimmy. Which is kind of shown in the microcosm in the first episode when he's just giving out his discounted law cards. And, like, he just doesn't, he doesn't think beyond himself. And then it shows the montage of the crimes these guys are committing and how it's affecting all these people. 50% off! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's actually, there's a scene... Where when Nacho picks up Jimmy and Jimmy has a mint chocolate chip ice cream cone. Oh yes. And that ice cream cone falls. Travesty. That's Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Jimmy has. And it starts out with one ant. Well, yeah, because yeah, because you have that sweet, nice thing that Jimmy has now invaded. Painted. Yeah, and like you said, it just it starts with a few ants, a few bad ants, you know, just a few ants, and then symbolism assuming it. And it's killed, and then when he sees it again later, you know, he sees that he sees that ruined mint chocolate chip ice cream, which is why he turns it down, 
when they're in the hotel. Mm -hmm. When he's in the courtroom, the people that he used to break the rules to protect, he's now using his powers for evil. That's his spilled ice cream moment. That's when he realizes he soured what he thought was going to be an awesome thing, which was an ice cream cone. Yep. That was a perfect description of that symbolism. It breaks it all down. <laughs> I'm also super sad that mint chocolate chip is the one. <laughs> was that some good ice cream? I know. Why not an orange sherbet? Exactly. Let that be destroyed. Sherbet. Come on. But agreed. Okay. Well, there's always one. And <laughs> and then the, the final episode is the assault on Lalo's mansion, which is literally the moment in Breaking Bad that when we're introduced to him when he thinks that the cartel guys are there to kill him, and he says, it wasn't me, it was Ignacio, did, you know, did Lalo send you? This is it. This is what he's talking about. Nacho let the people in. I had nothing to do with it. So how did you feel about that scene? I, like, personally, I loved it. I loved the action, and I love Lalo. So what did you guys think? I just want to have a... I don't remember his real name, but I really want to spend a minute appreciating the guy who plays Nacho, because I've really come to like that character a lot over the course like of these. Okay, I really like him a lot over the course of these five seasons, and all of the stuff with what does he call him? He gives him a name. Loco? Is it Loco? Ignacio Loco or something like that? Yeah. I just I think that whole interplay between him and Lalo. And while he's playing two sides, because Gus has his father under the the knife, as you said in your in character introduction. You got a gun to his head. Got a gun to his head. And it's just, he's brilliant too. And I don't think a, enough gets said about him, but yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I wish, I'm going to have to go back and watch Breaking Bad and get excited about this moment <laughs> to answer your oh, question. Oh, no. <laughs> Interesting. Because <laughs> I didn't, you keep, you've mentioned it many times, and at the time when I was going through it for the very first time, I was like, well, that's the Saul Goodman guy. I wasn't thinking about what he was saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like, and I'm not judging you, so before but you she get is. <laughs> a little bit of a panty twist, I'm not really, I just know you, I know you. I know her and I know that when she goes back the retrospectives will be like oh yes it will put you into the same category as the rest of us I just know it but it's okay you're just at a different point yeah I'm at a different point I'm but I just know point. you and I know that's what's gonna happen and it's okay anyways but that whole thing that show <laughs> yeah, back to Nacho. I actually thought like that scene with him with Don Eladio was kind of super fascinating too. I wish they had put subtitles. Maybe I don't know if the copy that Nick and I watched was supposed to have subtitles or not. Supposed to have subtitles is important. It didn't have oh, subtitles. Of the people, of the people yeah. you borrowed it from, didn't they, maybe they thought you spoke Spanish. That was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> no hablo espanol. Hablo espanol un poquito. Well, I was always worried if I looked down, but I'm like, I know what they're saying. So it's like... <laughs> Essentially, Don Eladio asks him, how will you make me money? What do you want? And then he tells him like how he would expand territories, and he tells him like how he would have these biker gangs go to war with each other and then that pick up I their territory. That about the biker gangs, because that part was in English. <laughs> and then he asks him what he wants out of life, and he says, 
Respect. He wants respect, and he wants to never have to look over his shoulder. And Don Alato tells him, then you're in the wrong business, friend. So you already know he's, like, his friggin', he's doomed. Yeah, and by the way, every time I see a scene with Don Eladio, I want to go back to Breaking Bad and watch Gus kill him. That guy is such a D-bag. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't suspect that Nacho will survive the series. But I was, and I'm surprised he survived this long. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. That, that he's playing way too many sides, and I don't think he's doing quite as well as others are. Well, I mean, Gus can leave these signs. He, he's not playing it as well because he's desperate. I think he has the potential, and that's what the show tells you, is that Nacho could be could be one of these players, but he missteps, and his father is so, so such as kryptonite, if you will, that he, he's desperate at this point, and he's making a lot of choices from that desperate spot desperation point mm, good points fascinating human nature this whole breaking bad study is that is why it is brilliant yeah Finn Skilligan is on my list of creators whom I will always watch something by so when I ask that question <laughs> character development is like my crack so and this is just so heavy on it that it, it just yes it's your mess yeah. <laughs> You're that right. I missed that opportunity. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll fix that in post. Can we take it from? <laughs> character development is my crack. Oh, but you're gonna say math. And <laughs> here we go. It's just fixing all the problems in our world. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> what is happening? This is edit fingers, yo. Okay. Snipping. We're snipping. <laughs> We're snipping it down. I don't know how I'm going to be able to edit that, so we'll just go with it's both her crack and her math. Kyle, you were saying? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, the character work is so so great. Like, even that scene when Howard is talking to Kim in private and he tells her, you know, you know who knew Jimmy? Chuck did. And it's like you're instantly brought back to, like, you know, Michael McKean's performance and everything. Mm. And that Howard whole, is right. He is right, though. Cause, yeah. Because. He's that Chuck, that Jimmy now has become what Chuck feared he could be. He's, like, reached max potential for, you know, slipping Jimmy, the, you know, chimp with a, a machine gun. With a machine gun, yeah. But what's, what I like about that is it's also Chuck's fault. Chuck wouldn't oh, let Jimmy move forward. Oh, yeah. And Howard this season has pretty much tried to undo that damage when he tells him, like, I could have stood up to Chuck. I should have hired you, and I'm, I'm going to do it he's now. Like, yeah, he's, like, totally apologizing for it. But, but it's too late. It is too, too late. late. Howard is just again the roadkill on that train, man. Yeah. Poor Howard. I don't know. He got <laughs> Jimmy. He's just trying to namaste. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Jimmy gave him those those three bowling balls. That was a nice present. Yeah, vintage. He gave bowling, bowling him balls, the bowling balls <laughs> on his car. I, mean, I if I were how I mean Howard's a pretty smart dude too, but I don't blame him for being so emotionally exhausted and confused. Well, I mean, yeah, Chuck messed with his head for years. We didn't even see the half of it. He's like, I'm just trying to like uphold my dad's offer. Like, <laughs> dude, dude, that's, all, that's basically what he could say. <laughs> It's so sad. You know, he's just like, man, I'm just part of the machine, man. Okay? I mean, as, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, not so much like the dude, but it would be, <laughs> the, you know, it's the sentiment is there. I mean, he's, 
He's trying to figure it all out. I think if nothing else, this sh this show particularly, maybe both shows, but this show particularly, is really about cause and effect, and how you manifest things when you expect them to be. You know, we're saying it's Chuck's fault. It is partially Chuck's fault. It's not really all of Chuck's fault. All layered. Yeah. He was making the choices that made Chuck have his opinions. I could then... psychoanalyze this show. Well, and you have to remember, he did start out as Slipping Jimmy. He, like, right. he did He did have that questionable past. He got past it, but that's all Chuck could see. And so or... Chuck brought it back out constantly. And Chuck was the pinnacle. I think he repressed it. Right. And Chuck was a pinnacle lawyer. But he was also a narcissist with his own psychological baggage. Yeah. I guess for me, the question is, would he have become... I go back to Chuck telling Howard not to hire him out of the mailroom as a lawyer. Once once Jimmy got past the bar, I feel like he could have been on a path that did not lead to Saul Goodman. Yes. So that's why I kind of put it a lot on Chuck. Well, yeah, I mean, even when he was working yeah, with Chuck, on, when he was working can. with Chuck on that Sandpiper case, and he was like literally doing everything by the straight and narrow, like they're going through the briefs. He was doing the paperwork, like he really cared, and he was he could have stayed that. Like had Chuck stayed on his side, that's I think who Jimmy would have stayed. He would have been like, you know, me and my brother are lawyers, and we're doing good. Yeah, he could have steered a different course. But stayed on his side is an interesting choice of words because the question is, was Chuck. Chuck really ever on his side, and that's yeah. kind of where we're at. Like, just superficially, very superficially. But that does go back to what Nick was. Nick, you're saying if he had not, if he had made that hire, would would Jimmy still have become Saul? Maybe not. Maybe he would have become something different. You know what I'm saying? So, I think we're watching the perfect storm for. Jimmy McGill turning into Saul Goodman and it's all the things wrapped up into it though. It's Chuck, <laughs> it's Howard, it's Kim, it's the cartel, the Salamancas, it's meeting Mike for crying out loud. We've barely talked about Mike, by the way. I mean, Mike has this whole arc in this season that he's he's finally working directly for Gus, no holds barred, no blurry line, taking the money, doing the things, all for his granddaughter which is where you basically find him when he enters in Breaking Bad. I will say, though, my least favorite part of this is the, the episodes when he's in the little town, mm -hmm. which I get why. I mean, he's did you guys town. understand the reference with the fountain? Which little town are we talking about? Give me the village. Stabbed in After the he gets stabbed. And then he's, he's not dealing with Werner's death, and right, he kind of wants it. someone to kill him, so he picks the fight with the gang. He gets stabbed, and then he's Gus brings Gus's him to physician, his physicians on his compound. Yeah. That yeah. compound is where Max Archenega, Gus's friend and partner who Hector killed, that's where he grew up. So you see the fountain yeah. that says, dedicated to Max. So that's the good that Gus is putting in the world that he doesn't show anybody, is that he's taking care of Max's family right. and all the people Since connected to him. Thanksgiving soup kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and Gus did used to be... I mean, he's just fallen so far down the revenge path that it's made him the same level, if not worse, sociopath that the rest of them are. So, But that's still something that he's doing to honor what... I mean, because when we see that flashback scene in Breaking Bad, I mean, I still perceive Gus as, yeah, he's going into like a criminal line of work, but I don't see him as a bad person. No, he was just a businessman. Yeah, man. he was just a businessman, so... 
he there's still some of him in there trying to do that but he's so far down his conquest and revenge that well and i just like this reminder because like if you watch the show without breaking bad you know you don't really get that or like why he's so laser focused on the salamancas like they never talk about max in this show you literally have to have seen breaking bad to know why this means so much to him and i love that little reminder it's just those those episodes where he's in that little town, like fixing the window and stuff, slowed things down. I think he would have been fine if had he just been like, he's working for Gus. But like yeah, like I said, that's a small nitpick in an amazingly great season. Because like when he gets out of that little town, like he's fully just working for Gus. Like they just breeze past. I I don't know. I like. I didn't have any qualms about that spot. I guess I just I like the Mike stuff because he is such a different character than everybody else and he's really not the sociopath he's the one guy who's not really a sociopath he operates very much more from a practicality common sense and also i'm doing this for my family kind of spot and so that's a nice break <laughs> sometimes from the other characters that are kind of in a maelstrom of different emotions, Mike is very even, usually. Well, he's the consummate professional. Like, yeah. he literally is, in his head, a businessman. Like, he does these transactions. There's nothing personal involved. He, he gets a job, he does it. And a lot of these people, I think, see themselves that way, and they don't even see how wrapped up they are in their little wars and personal vengeances. It is personal for him a little bit, only in the sense that it gives him focus from his grief, which they spend a lot of time, they spent more time exploring that last season than they did this season, but I think that's the that's the motivation you take away from Mike, is that he knows what he knows and he's going to do what he's going to do, and he has to do what he's going to do, because if he stops for any length of time, he's reminded of his son and how he died and all of the different things rolled up into that, and he wants to remember how he's taking care of his granddaughter. And in some ways, his legacy that he can never really celebrate with any kind of, you know, bombast that some of these other people are doing their, their jobs with and, and thinking about. So it's really a good set of characters. Good set mm -hmm. of characters. Yeah, I think that Mike is just, yeah, like, I love Mike. I just think he's more set in what he's already doing in the... Yeah, in the upcoming sequence of events. So, I mean, more or less, I just enjoy him being a badass. Yeah, but. I mean, and that's essentially... Because, <laughs> like, when we see him in Breaking Bad, he's super cold-blooded. Like, he just mows guys down. And then in this season, we see that. We see him, like, go through that dealing with Werner's death. And it's almost like he realized, like, okay, I'm a bad guy. I accept it. And then when we see him gun down all those cartel guys and save Jimmy and nothing like you know he's no second thoughts like he when he walks up to the one that's crawling away and just shoots him in the head seeing him become that mike who is just yeah he's pretty the much perfect there. assassin and hitman and right hand man yeah he's a he's... fixer really <laughs> he has a he's always fixing he fixed mm -hmm. the window he fixes gus's problems he's a fixer yeah i mean that's true that's what and he's always helping people just be less crazy dumb <laughs> like rash yeah, rash. He's always setting people straight, which yeah. goes along with the fixer thing. He tries to set Walter straight, and Walter completely misinterprets his words and messes it's everything. It's all a big misunderstanding, yes, I agree. <laughs> 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 it 
wouldn't be an episode without Nate supporting his favorite anti-hero, Walter White. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where do you guys think it's going to go from this? Any predictions for the, the final season? The only thing, I, I mean, everything is kind of, well, I don't know. I mean, we know it's going towards other Breaking Bad things. I'm really interested to see what happens with the Gene bit of it. Yeah, I want to know Same. what happens there. I, I'm wondering who's after him and if Lalo actually survived that long. I predict Nacho's going to bite it, and I'm kind of certain Kim is going to bite it. I don't you know. know. I don't know I if she's going to die, but they are definitely going to implode. Like, like yeah. some bad is going to happen. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to say that she. I do think Nacho's going to die, but I don't know if she's going to die. I'm wondering if with these Breaking Bad things they're hinting at, we're going to get like. Kim was always there helping him figure things out behind the scenes or something like that's what I'm wondering. He helps P she helps him play people and he I'm wondering how much he was playing Walt and Jesse. Like I don't think so the meeting think was accidental. I don't think any oh. I think I think he figured about Heisenberg and I think he found a way and I don't think it was as easy as Walt and Jesse finding this criminal. So lawyer. you think I think there's more to how... Kim is a big, fat misdirect. That's what I think. Misdirection. I think she's almost going to be like a silent partner. And so right now, we feel like it is the mixture of the influences and the toxicity, but maybe just like Chuck, she was really driving it more so behind the scenes, and we just don't know it yet, and that's going to be the bombshell. So you're basically casting Kim as Lady Macbeth, is what you're yeah. telling me. Yeah. Oh, well, that could be, yeah. I mean, it, that would make sense. I mean, it's headed in that tragic direction, so. Can you all please go spit in every corner of the theater now? <laughs> We're not in the theater. There's no bad luck. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fun and interesting because this is, you know, the first season. I don't know what's going to happen. We're, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the same spot as you guys. But, yeah, I just, I don't think anything so tragic is going to happen to Kim. I think she's literally going to be the silent partner to Saul Goodman, helping him along the way. But then the real question is, if that's true, where is she during the Gene segment? Because he would have taken her with him. So that's that's what I was wondering, too. Like, if she does... Like, earlier on, we were. I was kind of saying how, like, I was concerned about what was going to happen to Kim. Like, more of a, like, safety perspective. But I actually think, like, something might happen to her legally. Like, she might end up in legal trouble and end up in jail. Or something like that. Because I mean, we don't possibly. like we don't, if she's really going to cross the line with Howard. Well, Julian, yeah, what you were going to say. I think if she is a silent partner to him in the next season, then it's going to be from a jail cell. Like that's just my like two cents on it. Because I just feel like we would have seen or heard something. I don't know, or maybe like something would have been added into that flash forward that they had in season four when Saul is trying to escape. Like some mention of Kim, maybe know. Paul is going to be the reason that she goes to jail. Like yeah. maybe that's going to be the other thing of it, like Game of Thrones style, where like <laughs> he's like, "Okay, we love each other, but I got to put you out of your misery," type of thing, because you're going too far. And so Saul's the reason she ends up going to jail, like or Jim or the Jimmy side of Saul. I don't know. There's lots of different ways it could go, guys. I'm just saying. I just <laughs> This is an intriguing theory, but I would be super surprised to know that she, A, survives this interconnection that was formed this season with all of the things he's involved in, especially given where he does end up in Breaking Bad. And then if 
she does survive it, that there would have been literally no mention of her whatsoever at any point, at any time. He did mention his third wife, which now we know is Kim. What does he say? He's just, when he's talking to Walt about wives, because, like, you know, when Walt's, like, losing his mind about Skylar, he mentions his third wife. But we don't know if, like, she's still his third wife or if it's in past tense. But I'm just saying, there was one apparent reference to Kim that we didn't know about until this season. It would just be really surprising. Go ahead, Nick. Well, because we're we're going to get into the timeline of the show Breaking Bad, I think she's definitely going to be around for that point. It's, does she survive all the way until the gene parts? Is she in hiding as well? Did they go in hiding separately? But I do think she's helping, at least at the first, the beginning of getting involved with, of Saul getting involved with Walter White. Yeah. I, I think she has some sort of some kind of plan, whether it's vague counting on Jimmy and helping Jimmy bring more money in. Because right now I don't really know what her plan is or after she quit, but still wants to do pro bono work. Oh, she's making the Jimmy's making that friend of the cartel money. Exactly. So I think she's going to help keep that going. Oh, sure. So that I think that's what we're going to be seeing. But again, because the timeline brings us presumably all the way to Jean, she might not survive that as well. So I think we'll see maybe a little bit of both of that, of what we're talking about. A little yeah. mixture of everything. It's going to be chompsy-turvy, baby. It's going to be wild. <laughs> that's well, what Nick told me before we went out. And what season does Saul come in on Breaking Bad 2 or 3? Season 2. Okay. So we, we know that at least that first season's worth of time in Breaking Bad, anything goes as far as Saul, because we never really met him until later on. So that, you know, for sure I can buy. I just, oh no, Kim, I, I can just, I mean, Lady Macbeth was a tragic character, is all I'm saying. She doesn't survive the play. Spoiler. So. What? Who does? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I wasn't going to, I was just going to let it roll. <laughs> I, I was just pointing specifically to the one character, please. Thank you. I guess what I'll say about Kim is this isn't a prediction, but more of a want. I want to see another interaction slash showdown. I don't know how. I want it to go, but I want to see Kim come toe-to-toe like she did with What's-His-Face, the guy in charge of Mesa Verde, which led directly to her standing up to Lalo. Yeah, you want her Julia Sugarbaker moment. Yes, I do. You will not alter drapes in Atlanta. (laughs) Yes, yeah, you want want her to be, like, spitting fire, like when she did to Salamanca, yeah, but then, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah, if that, then they shoot her right then. So be it. What happens? <laughs> but you're gonna get that moment. I think it has to come to that. Like yeah. we haven't seen her hit. If she's in this next season, there has to be a moment higher than that. And I think that was the pinnacle of Kim. Get your house in order, and you're just like, oh man, and you play that gif of that kid doing this. What? <laughs> That was seriously my favorite scene of the whole season. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Like, hands down, that whole thing. When Lalo enters the apartment, he's like, hey, guys. Like, that whole thing. All the way till the the end. 
Yeah, so Mike, Mike on the rooftop across listening to it and watching it with his sniper. Like, the whole thing. That was my favorite scene of the whole season. I mean, the tension was just, like, palpable. Oh, man, yeah. With the phone hidden right by the fish tank, and he kept looking at the fishes and tapping on the fish tank. <laughs> I know, what a dick. He said that scares them. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then just Mike at the end of it, you know, I heard enough to know that she just saved you. Which is kind of telling a wonderful little pronouncement like oh so now you know why they're together mike next time you question it because <laughs> he was questioning it all through the desert during mm-hmm. the avoidance of drinking urine but it was he also him getting confirmation that was he was right she is in the game she's definitely mm. in the game She's way in the game. So Even though, and that's the other part of that, is that Jimmy keeps saying that, or Saul keeps saying that she's not a part of it, but that's horseshit. She is. She's, she's <laughs> Michael Douglas. That's how far in the game she is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some parallels. <laughs> it's so deep. It's so deep. Who's <laughs> this? <laughs> Anyways, I really enjoy, too, when Hank rolls in. This is totally going backwards, but when Hank rolls in and he says, I'm so good, and he's like, really? It's all good, man. Like, that's the best you could come. Like, that was so perfect. That was so true Hank style, and, of course, he would be the one to call him out on that. Well, I mean, it goes literally the first time we see Saul is, like, him and Hank, him ruffling the feathers of the DEA agents when they arrest Badger. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there were not enough scenes of the two of them together in the original series. I hope we get more of them next season. There's a big wish list here. This is an Aladdin-level wish list. (laughs) They're going more than ten episodes. There's there's plenty of possibility here. (laughs) I just don't want us to wish too much. (laughs) We can wish to the moon, Nate. We just might be I'm just saying, if there's going to be something that delivers, no pressure, but it's more than likely going to be this. For me, I'd like the last season to have all the things I'd like to see happen. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're all saying. We're all just like, man. And would one of those things be an appearance <laughs> of Walter White? Because how can you avoid that at this point? First of all, they already had a little bit of a thing. And then second of all, they're going into the Breaking Bad. Yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna be hooting like I'm on Arsenio. He's back, baby. Going having a nerd gasm. For Generation <laughs> X and Elder Millennial, if you watch the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> I'm actually hosting the Google it. Of the it's probably Hall. a GIF. <laughs> uh, Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> Nick's gonna be on it. Okay. Uh, we'll <laughs> He's co-moderating with you. You know what? If we launch an Arsenio Hall show panel, which isn't really in our idiom, you are definitely <laughs> moderator. Are we panels on talk shows? I, I sign up for Conan. I guess we okay. We can have a talk show spinoff. Nate can host Arsenio. Hillary's got Conan. Anybody else want to like claim one? Comedy Bang Bang. I because Conan helped Bob Odenkirk get his start. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Also, yeah, who's moderating? Who is moderating? I like to point that. Bob Odenkirk was a writer for Conan, so technically Bob Odenkirk helped Conan get his start. <laughs> you wonder what? What's They're friends. Suck it. What's happening? <laughs> there we go. Pitch delivered. <laughs> Hashtag disclaimer. 
We're charming. Anyways, this show is good and everyone should watch it. And I'm excited for the next season, but Bob Odenkirk is healing, so it'll probably still he be a little He started filming away. again. I know he started yeah. film, filming, but they're probably not going to go at the pace that they would have because he's They were probably... more than halfway done when it happened, so hopefully it soon. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying usually <laughs> restrictions happen after a major heart event. That's all. Well, well I was watching that whole scene of them walking through the desert, and I was like, well, no wonder Mr. Poor Bob Odenkirk had a heart attack. They have him out here in the desert drinking his own piss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the piss part I'm was pretty sure they water. were throwing water at his... <laughs> Is yeah. Jackie chanting it? <laughs> He's going all in. It looked very strenuous. <laughs> Balls to the references today. It's very hot in the desert. I'm told. It's a rich tapestry of references. (laughs) I I I can hear that and see it. Yeah, the desert sucks. (laughs) Very hot. I've heard. Sorry for people who enjoy it. I don't like the Michigan summer, so I can't imagine liking the desert. Hey, Kyle, did you want to talk about anything else at all remotely related to Better Call Saul? Well, even when we're not recording, it's fine. I think we about covered it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably off the rails. I was trying to help you, man. (laughs) Are there any other points that you would like to discuss since you love it? I mean, other than the predictions, which we covered, I think we we covered the season pretty well. This episode is almost as long as the season. Yeah. Oh, I love ending on those notes. Thanks, Nick. Jeez. So I would like to thank Nick, Nate, Jules, Kylie, and Hillary for being on this podcast. And I will kick it back to Kylie so she can do her little ending jig. She's not ready. No, I'm always ready. Calm down. And I'd also like to thank Kyle, my brother-in-law, and lover of Better Call Saul for moderating this portion of the series, which he will do again when we return to talk about the final season, season six. But before all of that happens, we have credits to roll. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation Point! was produced by Back Pocket Productions, run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piette. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast, and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. Kels played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book. By email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Though of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time, and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point. Or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, all available seasons of Better Call Saul are available to stream on Netflix, except the fifth season. Good luck to you all to finding it. I guess you can buy it on Prime, maybe, or some outlets like that. Otherwise, you have to wait because they usually wait to put it on Netflix until the new season starts rolling. But they are our unofficial non-sponsor, even though we don't like to say it. In the meantime, our Breaking Better series panel will next reconvene following the airing of the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul, which is expected to premiere in 2022, though no official premiere date has yet been announced. In the final episode of our series, part seven of our Breaking Better series panel. So until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening, keep watching, stay tuned! Bye-bye!